Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. We're here on day 571. <laughs> Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? I'm great. Go on. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm really good. I'm just really good. I have been cooking. I've been enjoying that. You've been posting your food pics as well. I have, and I went for a beautiful walk. I've been doing these really lovely walks. I've been going for walks at sort of 8, 9 p.m. when the town's a bit quieter, so I'm not like in anyone's way. And just walking along the river, um, and I just went this beautiful walk last night, like a 7K walk, ended up at the lake um, in the middle of Berlin, up in Trep Tower, and it was just glorious. Oh, man, like simple pleasures. So, yeah. Oh, man. Lovely. That's what I do miss about living in Friedrichshain is being down within walking distance of the river. It's a water. bit of a trek from where I am now. Oh, water, water. Yeah. Water, no get enemy, as a great poet once said. <laughs> <laughs> Should we drop into the um, Stadio Sessions news? Yes, let's do it. I got another one this Friday. It's going to be 7 till 9 p.m. UK time. The people have spoken. We've stuck it out to a time vote. <laughs> 8 till 10 p.m. Berlin time. 2 till 4 East Coast in the States. And then I can't remember the other time zones, but I'm sure you can figure it out. It's going to be a Brazil special. So two hours of Brazilian music and commentary of Brazilian players. That is amazing. So come spend your Friday with us. Uh, I mean, I know I've mentioned this. I've probably mentioned before that I did attend the World Cup in Brazil. And one of the most amazing experiences of my life was walking through the streets of Rio, listening to like Tropicalia, I got shivers even talking about that, even reminiscing, because there's something about Brazil, even with all its challenges, that is is timeless. You know, when you're there and you're there in that moment, you're like, this feels timeless. Like, I'm never going to forget that experience. I mean, I've never been, but I think as someone who has obviously grown up with a big love for music and football, as a European, it's not difficult to romanticise about Brazil Yeah, from a football and music context. So... Why not combine the two? Let's do a studio session live in Brazil. Find an excuse. <laughs> oh, wow. I wish. <laughs> let's oh, get, man. Let's get an excuse. As soon as we've got some money and this pandemic's done, maybe. Like a studio session boiler room live on the beach. Dude, that'd, that'd be, be nice. Absolutely wild. It'd be, that's not my vibe. Face for radio. <laughs> Face for radio. Nonsense. <laughs> not going to humour that. I'm not going to tolerate that. <laughs> uh, before we move on, We're not doing any FopMob stuff this week, but make sure you download the app anyway. Keep up to date. They're also doing some cool quizzes and little five-a-side. Like they're playing a picking of five-a-side teams against all of these outlets. There was one against them, the Two Girls Talking Bulls podcast that went up the other day. Amazing. That's quite fun. I quite like to get involved in that. Just play five number tens. So good. Yeah. (laughs) Just never lose possession. (laughs) Just no keeper. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Shouts to the FopMob crew. And... Yeah, shouts to you, listeners. Hope you're all safe and well and hanging in there. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's hope it's not long now. Do you know what I might do one of these days? I might drop a recipe Ooh. on the podcast just for listeners. Yeah, an exclusive. Really? I thought you can't post just you recipe because it's like a family secret. Well, it's mine, actually. It's mine. Oh, actually, on the food tip. Yep, yep. Sorry to cut in. Go for it. I wanted to give out a shout to one of our favourite spots in Berlin, Mama Shab's. Yes. Pakistani restaurant in Kreuzberg. So if you are in Berlin, I mean, I understand a lot of people who listen to the podcast aren't, but if you are in Berlin, Mama Shab's are doing this amazing thing. Every Wednesday, they put up a new menu that you can order and they'll deliver it, but it's stuff that you can store. So it's like a big bulk kind of pack, about 35 euros for the meat selection or 30 euros for the vegetarian. And it's stuff that you can basically put in the freezer, use it over a few days but they obviously do it a set menu each week to reduce food wastage no nahari unfortunately but 
yeah, if you are in Berlin, please consider supporting. It's one of our favorite places to eat, right? It's amazing. It's amazing. It's a newcomer. It's a relative newcomer. I mean, when did it open? October? Right. So it's kind of like Stadio, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I would say that Mama Shabs operates to a much higher quality level than Stadio does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's no disrespect because Mama Shabs operates on a higher level than pretty much anything else. Oh yeah, we'd never, I mean, yeah, every time we're in there, we feel like we're punching above our weight just because the food comes out. We're like, really? For us? For us. <laughs> we don't deserve this. We really don't. We don't. But yeah. Uh, it's been weird in Berlin this week. I know we're kind of waffling a bit before we start, but a load more shops have started opening again because they relaxed some of the restrictions. There was a good point. It's that, kind of yeah, weird. Before we get into the podcast proper, one thing I'll say very quickly about the the loosening of restrictions, I have noticed in myself, and I'm someone that's, I've been out on average less than half an hour a day for the last month, I would say, five weeks. Hmm. I've been out very rarely and I found myself kind of champing the bit a bit. And I think that Merkel is trying to loosen those restrictions because she understands the mental health aspects of staying at home too long. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've been for more walks in the last week than I have done before. In the first, what, three or four weeks, we, pretty much all we did was literally go to the supermarket because it's, we should point out, we've not actually ever been on lockdown here. It's right. never been an official lockdown. It's been a restriction. Yes. And guidelines no more than two people together unless you're in the same household one and a half meters apart all of this kind of stuff but i mean i've not seen you since we started doing them remotely i mean it's weird because i see you all the time because you're there on my computer screen boop. yeah so there you go yeah, you, you just, can delete me at any just point booped, though, just booped moose's face <laughs> <laughs> electronically <laughs> but it's kind of weird how you like i've not actually really seen anyone this is wild it's wild anyway i hope it goes away soon me too. I hope it retires soon. Oh, so, yeah! Because, what a segue. Yes. It's almost that like Musa Wagwanga is some kind of podcast host. <laughs> so yeah, today we're discussing retirement. There's something about when a footballer retires, about choosing a moment mm. that is very special. You know, when, it, when, it, when someone retires who's given so much pleasure to millions of people, and who, in many cases, has been the highlight of not just people's weeks, but in some cases, people's lives. You know, if you, yeah. a lot of people, they name their top 10 moments in their entire lives. In a lot of cases, more than one of those is a football-related memory. Yeah, or definitely sport at, one, at some point. For sure, like, absolutely. Yeah. And so when the reason I want to talk about retirement, and we want to talk about retirement today, is that there's something poignant about when someone so great leaves the stage, but also the kind of the sense that they should be happy after that. Someone that's brought so much happiness to so many people should themselves enjoy some measure of happiness in retirement. And also the sense that when you retire so early, like, you know, you're football, you're retiring at 35, 36, you've still got, if you remain healthy, another life to live. Yeah, I mean, it's a conversation we've had a number of times, haven't we, just randomly. But I think also from our own personal experience, like you stopped playing, what, two seasons ago now? I think it's three now, two and a half seasons, yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And... You know, I should probably retire. I mean, this season's over for us. I think we've it's pretty much been official that our season's been cancelled. But uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but I came back from injury about what four weeks before Corona hit, or before everything got shut down. And my coach was just like, "You sure you want to do this? Come back from injury at your age." So I'm not sure how many years I've got left of playing football, but seeing footballers retire and there being a, a common thing that would pop up in a lot of people when they were talking about retirement, post-retirement. And the one common thing that you hear is just that 
it's almost like a you wake up one morning and then you just you know that's it there's something inside you that switches and you either don't have the hunger anymore or you just know that that's it oh my goodness yeah and i remember thinking about that concept and just being like how could you ever think that how could you ever wake up one morning and just be like yeah actually i don't want to do this anymore especially players at your peak and they're the ones that really intrigue me the ones that walk away from everything at their absolute peak in all sports to be honest um because i just find it such a g move michael michael jordan did it michael jordan did didn't he for his first retirement if you like when he went to play baseball you know he genuinely wanted to play baseball apparently i think he should have retired after the bulls the second time and i maybe we should add into this as well cuz that we decided to talk about this now because we started watching the last dance the Bulls documentary on Netflix, which is, it's only two episodes in, but it's so good. Unbelievable, isn't it? But yeah, sorry, I just waffled for ages then. You, no, no, you, no, no. You, I'm, I'm, you I'm, take I'm, over. No, no, I'm, no, no, it's fascinating. Listen, right. Stop it before I light a cigar. <laughs> I was like, oh, keep going, Ryan. This is so good. You talk, I'll go and make us a couple of old fashions. The problem I had is I've been listening to really good podcasts recently. So when, when I hear you talk, I'm like, oh, it's another really good podcast. And I was like, um, <laughs> oh my God. No, exactly this. I mean, it's funny when you describe, um, feeling old i've never felt old in relation to footballers you know people go oh my goodness i can't believe i'm 40 and that guy's mbappe's 19 i don't actually because weirdly enough there's something about footballers that makes them strangely ageless when yeah. you have that talent level like i'm older than frank lampard i'm older than andres iniesta but they've always felt older than me when i see those people in public they always feel older because you're exposed to so much of the world you absorb so many expectations and cope with it under pressure that it almost seals you in a time capsule where you're automatically older than me. Like I talk, mm. I talk to, um, there's a guy over at Wolfsburg, shout out to uh, Joshua Gilavogi, lovely guy. We did, I did an event. Um, I was doing some spoken word at the Wolfsburg annual uh, dinner um, last year. And we were talking and he referred to me jokingly as like big bro, because I'm older than him. Like they, and I'm like, he's 29, I'm 40. But talking to him, he's so mature, like, you know, Captain of Wolfsburg does a lot of great social work off the, off the, um, off the pitch, an amazing guy. Like he feels older than me. And I'm not immature. I'm not saying I'm immature. I'm not an immature person. I'm a smart guy. I do my mm. thing. That, well, we've got, well, not, <laughs> no, not, no. not on the podcast, but <laughs> you had to get that. You had to get that in. But he, footballers never feel like younger than me. They always have an aura, even the young ones, even the kind of like Mbappe age. I look at them and I don't go, there is a child. Not really. And for a footballer to retire, um, to relinquish a superpower and then become a civilian again, that's interesting because it almost evens the balance because when you are a professional footballer, an elite player, you don't need journalists. You don't need us to build your myth. But when these players retire or start slowing down, unless you are Mbappe, unless you're the top 5%, your legend gets forgotten. Mm. Like e e Even someone like Steve McManaman, who was an astonishing player, 15 years after retirement, 10 years after retirement, you are kind of just another good footballer and you don't turn heads in the street anymore. And at that point, the, the balance shifts in terms of how much you need the media landscape. That's why people, like my, even Michael Owen, you find Michael Owen, doing more brand management, doing more interviews. Michael Owen is a calculating dude, right? No offense to him. He's a smart guy. But that interview with Jamie Carragher was a calculated move for brand management. 
In the same way that Fabregas talking to Arsblog was important, not because Fabregas is a bad person or Owen, it's because they understand there is a value in being well regarded by people who did not grow up watching you play football. And there's something about retirement and you know management of retirement expectation. Like Fabregas, he's a, I think he's a good guy. It matters to him what football thinks. It matters to Michael Owen what football thinks because retirement has to be carefully managed. I kind of disagree on the Fabregas thing, if I'm being honest, because I think that he strikes me as the kind of character who doesn't really care. And that comes across quite a lot in the interview that he did with Arsblog, which is, if anyone hasn't listened to it, by the way, shouts to Andrew Mangan from Arsblog, who interviewed Cesc Fabregas via Skype a few weeks ago. And it's absolutely brilliant. And Cesc is really candid about it. And also says a few things that maybe are quite difficult for Arsenal fans to hear. I don't actually think he's too worried about image management as much as a lot of other people are because I think that he I just think he's got to the point where he's actually just like this is how it is yeah because you know, if, if he was so worried about image management he wouldn't have said half the stuff that he said on that interview I don't think but that is part of it that's what I mean that is image management that's like that's narrative that's being like you have to understand like his point is I think in the interview he's saying I cared and this is how it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. He, he's basically saying, he's not trying to like sugarcoat it. He's saying, this is who I was and you can disagree with it, but this is how it was. This is on my terms. And I think, you know, I, I do think image or whatever we call it, reputation is important to footballers. It's why Samuel Eto'o came out of that piece on Guardiola. A lot of people were like, Guardiola's like this. And you see a lot of players at the end of their career coming out and going, I know that you saw me as some hothead, like in Eto'o's case, but Pep and I, there was a different dynamic. And actually the interview that he does is fascinating because you really get to sort of see the nuances of, you know, Guardiola is a difficult character, right? Mm. But Guardiola is also very beloved in many respects, a bit less so now. But I think it's so important in retirement. Players are aware that 99% of people will never have seen them play live. And as you get older and older, a lot of them will only remember your greatest moments. Like like the Rain Rooney overhead kick. People joke about that. Oh, he shinned it. And I'm like, come on, like he improvised. But there's a down headbutt. People talk about that as being a really cool retirement. And I joke about it, but I think it was a terrible retirement because Zidane, you know, we can joke about it from a hipster perspective, but Zidane was a past first player. He didn't shoot on goal and he was a good goal scorer. He didn't shoot unless it was the only option available, right? So to be sent off in one of the biggest matches of your career, the culmination of an incredible tournament for you, to fail your team because you couldn't keep your head, I think is the worst possible retirement. Zidane was a weird one because he kind of had this mixture of cult status but also pure majesty. Yeah. And it's quite rare that, I think. It's like Andre 3000. Like, rappers rappers that innovative are not meant to get that big. Yeah, he's like, he is commercially the biggest and critically the the most well-regarded, that kind of thing. You know, it's like, it's rare. It's almost like Radiohead, like back, you know, in terms of a band being that big but also being that interesting. But yeah, Zidane's, yeah, Zidane deserved I know there's going to be a load of Italian people who will probably hate me for saying that, but Zidane's career deserved that World Cup win in terms of an exit, I think. If you were going to kind of plan the exit. But then there's part of me that kind of thinks, actually, it becomes more mythical that he didn't win it. You know, everyone kind of loves a tragedy. This is actually interesting what you've said about the mythical element. I think this is a really great point because here's the thing. The World Cup was in his hands. This is the dominance. His dominance of the World Cup was such. I mean, we haven't seen a World Cup performance that dominant since Baggio or Maradona, right? Those are the three most dominant, arguably, World Cup performances of the modern era. Baggio in 94, Maradona in 86, and Zidane in 2006. In terms of 
a player just taking the knockout stages and running with them. And, I, and narrowly behind them, I would put Rivaldo 2002. But I think in terms of those three, those are the three greatest. And by the time, you know, by the time that, that headbutt happened in the World Cup final, we look at the previous games, each game he becomes the dominant figure in the knockout. You know, Spain, Portugal, in the late stages. And in the final again, like he scores the Penenka against Buffon. And then it's almost like whatever happens in this final, it's going to be Zidane. Like it's, he'll have a say in it. It's going to be him that decides it because it's the weird thing with that goal when, when they went 1-0 up. The only other player that really looked like fully up for it after that was Henri. Mm. Everyone else in the French team, they almost shrank. I don't know if you noticed, but there was almost, they almost shrank behind the ball. And apart from Henri in that final, it was like they were waiting for full time. So yeah, I think that the mythical status, the point you've made is great because it was almost like it was Zidane's final to lose. Yeah, I mean, if you think about that kind of ending compared to, say, someone like Frank Reichard. Oh, wow. And shouts to Priya Ramesh and HFDSP on Twitter, who suggested Frank Reichard. I'll read Priya's tweet. Won it all at Milan, came back to Ajax, won the Champions League in, in his last game and retired. And HFDSP said, after winning all those trophies, Milan returns to Ajax, captains a squad of young pups to another Champions League crown and then walks away at 33. I mean, who would you say had had the best career out of Rijkaard and Zidane in terms of, I mean, trophies? Rijkaard. Yeah. And also, if you think about it, the most perfect ending, going back to Ajax, winning the Champions League and retiring. But which is the most mythical? Oh, well, without question. I mean, Zidane arguably has had the most mythical, arguably the most mythical career in football. For a lot of footballers, that kind of ending that Zidane had would be really tragic. But there's something about it when you actually think about it now, kind of fits. That makes absolute sense. Look, look put it this way. When, when Zidane headbutted Matarazzi, there's not a single person on God's earth who thought that is not the most Zidane thing they'd ever seen. Like, and that's the thing about Zidane. Zidane was equally emblematic or iconic for his acts of violence as he was for his acts of beauty. You look mm. at the sending off against Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah. Which features the two most iconic Zidane moments that you've seen anywhere. One of them was the stamp. The second one is when he falls over and then in the act of getting up, dribbles past two Saudi Arabia players when he's on the ground. Anyone that hasn't seen it, it's the most astonishing thing because you can't practice a skill like that. No. Zidane is on the ground and beats two men from a crouching position and comes away with the ball. It's unreal. And that's what Zidane was. He was this... Um, someone said about Zidane's eyes, you can't tell if he was an angel or a serial killer. Yeah. You know, that whole, he was so unknowable. This is a guy who... Pure poker face. A poker face, right. And, and, and stood for, so, represented so much and was absolutely unreadable. And you had no idea at any point whether he was going to elbow you in the jaw or deliver an astonishing through ball. You had no idea what was coming from him. And here's the other thing about Zidane that makes him mythical. If you name the top, if you, want, if you have to name the top five players of all time, a lot of people forget Zidane the first time they have the name in the top five. And then they go, oh, sorry, Zidane as well. And the reason that happens is because Zidane is off in the ether by himself. He's a little bit, he's almost uncategorizable. He doesn't belong. In it. There is something otherworldly about him. Do you think it's an era issue as well? Because I have this weird thing about eras. Like we mentioned on the last podcast, that transition from the 90s to the 2000s, football moved or progressed at a pace that it never seen before and sport did in general because of this acceleration in technology. You couldn't see every player back then as regularly as you could watch every player now. Mm. But 
they were too recent to be classed as legend. So there's almost like a 10 to 15 year swing in the 90s to early 2000s where those players haven't really become as iconic as I think that some others around them have. It's like a weird black hole. Here's the thing. It's funny because I think the era thing, it works in most cases, but I think Zidane is the exception. The reason I say that is because I think in his case, it's because he was actually fairly inconsistent. Mm. But when he was on, he was so far better than anyone on the pitch around him. So there are games, if you watch Zidane, actually, what you notice is if Zidane gets on the ball early, if he, if he gets three or four touches in the first five minutes, he will destroy you. The games when Zidane doesn't play well are generally the games in which he doesn't get much possession for the first 15 minutes and he can't yeah. get into the rhythm. And that is why if you watch, the, the, for example, the, the, the game where he destroys Manchester United 3-1 at... Um, the Bernabeu, and it should have been 6-0. It's 3-1 in the end, but it's 3-0 at half time, And he was absolutely astonishing. He basically torments David Beckham. He torments, in a way I've never seen before or since. When Zidane is locked in, he destroys him. I think it's because for large passages of his career, there were games when he didn't quite spark. Like even the Champions League final, I was re-watching the Champions League final, Real Madrid-Juventus. I know a lot of you are watching classic games at the moment. Please, as a public service announcement, do not rewatch Juventus Real Madrid. It is, <laughs> it is not the droid you are looking for. Zidane, Zidane game is, is fairly poor and he's off the pace, but another, other finals where he's on, like all the semi-final against Ajax when he's locked in, he is, it's because he's an everyman, like 30% of the time. And 70% of the time, Stephen McManaman talks about this in his book, El Maka. He says, with, with a great book with Sarah Edworthy, McManaman says, even when Zidane had a bad game in the dressing room afterwards, no one mentioned it. Because he was so obviously the best player on the planet, it was like other players would get criticised, but no one ever said anything to Zidane because he was that much better. And that is what makes him mythical. He can have a stinking game and there's Ronaldo can be in the dressing room and no one will have a word to say to him. Yeah. So I think the mythical, I think your description of mythical was actually, I think that was spot on. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Should take a break. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, back from the break. And quick reminder, next week we're doing two episodes about The Wire. We are indeed. Where are you up to now? We're both doing a rewatch as well, aren't we? What number is this for you? I think this is number. Th- this is either number three or four for me. I can't remember. This is my third rewatch. And my first rewatch, oh my God, I haven't watched it in how many years? I mean, 10 years. Save the details. No, of course, Monday. of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm rewatching good podcast material. It is. So if you haven't watched The Wire, try and watch as much of it as you can, because it will contain spoilers. So we're going to do two episodes where we're talking about footballers and which wire characters they'd be and why. Or yes. maybe we'll go off into little mini worlds and deconstruct it by club. I don't know. There are no rules. Indeed. There are no rules. So back to today. We're going to go through a few of you, the listeners, favourite retirements that you suggested. So a couple of quick ones based on what's going on in the world at the moment. This one's from Sharanji on Twitter. So Dexter Blackstock runs a medical technology firm now. He's trying to distribute a million pounds worth of PPE to frontline staff in the NHS. Amazing. I love that. Which is so good. I love that. Also on that tip, a couple of people suggested this guy. Yeah, Matthew Flamini. 
Yes. <laughs> Matthew Flamini's out here saving the world with his bike. Was it Biofuel Company? And I think they're moving into doing equipment for the coronavirus as well. And he co-founded this a while ago, didn't he? He's, yeah. His Wikipedia page now says, I mean, he's technically not retired yet. So funny. Even though he's not played for a while. But it says he's a French professional footballer and environmental entrepreneur. That is so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. And then you have Thomas Graveson who went off and became an investor. Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, great. What was the one I said to reply to you? I and Dezeu. Yes. <laughs> he joined the wire. He became McNulty in the wire. <laughs> yeah, he quit and then went and joined uh, the Dutch police force as a detective, basically. Specialised in forensics as well. You know what? That is a TV series in itself. But but really just incredible Yeah, to be able to bring together those two worlds. It's such a Dutch thing. Isn't it the most... If someone has said to you, what's the nationality of a player who retired professional football and became a detective, you'd be like, yep, he's Dutch. <laughs> All right. So what's your favourite retirement in terms of... Well, give me two. So what they've done afterwards or like retiring at the optimum moment. Uh, my favourite retirement in terms of what they've done afterwards is Rai Oliveira, Sao Paulo. Yeah. Rai, basically, uh, Socrates' younger brother, captain of the 94... 94- World Cup team, winning team, but was actually dropped, I think, for Dunga in the second round because he was underperforming and was so humble about it that he didn't complain. I got the chance to interview Rai years later and didn't complain about it. He was like, yeah, Pereira was right to drop me, which is so humble. And he went on to go and do loads of humanitarian work. He's got like an education uh, charity and is just like a local legend and is so humble. Mm. Like a genuinely, like I, I've met players like, you know, retired players. It's very rare that I'm in absolute awe. I've had that in a few times in my life. There's a handful of people I've met after football. Who I'm like, my goodness, the person was even better than the reputation. Rai Oliveira is one of them. Amazing. I was genuinely in awe of him when I met him as a humanitarian. So he's my favorite retired player in terms of what he did afterwards. He was at the World Cup in, um, obviously in Brazil, 2014 as a kind of ambassador for Sony and was just wonderful was wonderful uh my favorite retirement in terms of a moment i guess this keeps changing i really like the way iniesta went out went out i know he's not retired but the way he left barcelona i think he's not retired sorry yeah he's not allowed so, yes yeah, so he's not allowed to retire okay he's still dancing man we can't, we can't use him any excuse to use iniesta man I, i'm sorry like, I'm honestly sorry. okay so i would have to say if i'm going to be biased i know a lot of people mentioned Cantona. yeah that was quite incredible because Cantona left with so much more to give four titles in five years, knew that his star was waning in terms of, you know, his last season, he, where he scored that beautiful goal against Sunderland, either his last season or penultimate, the floating chip, the one-two mm-hmm. in Leclerc. And I think that was a kind of a last hurrah, that sort of phase. And he was like, I want to be remembered. It was almost like a sort of, I want to be remembered the beautiful corpse. And I think Cantona, at the time of retirement, had the most beautiful corpse in football you will always remember him as this magisterial figure. And I think that was important to him. And that's how we see him now. I can't think of another footballer like him, really, in terms of the whole package. During his career, the way he went out, post-career, well, post-football career, you know, what he's then gone on to become, using that word again, but how mythical he's, he's become. He's almost like a kind of oracle now. Do you know I think, why I think Cantona left when he did? So what, he retired in 97, right? And came up in France. He retired at the end of Arsene Wenger's first season in charge at Arsenal because he knew what was coming. <laughs> Wenger coming, Wenger coming. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else. I thought you were going to see that he saw the young players coming through. I mean, obviously I'm joking, but I think he saw Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, 
knew that they, who they'd go after. Nicholas and Elka arriving. <laughs> mm, no, I'm good. Thanks. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm good. Something's I'm in out. the Dark Knight. Rises. Thirty-one years old. I'm out of it. <laughs> so, seeing the Dark Knight Rises, there's a storm coming, Mister Wayne. He saw the storm coming. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm. Out. I'm good. <laughs> I like that. That's a good answer. The Cantonar one is a really, really good one. Who are your favourites? My two favourite football retirements, I think, are both Bayern players. Weirdly, ah, Philip Lahm's one. So he retired from the Germany squad after winning the World Cup. I I quite enjoyed how him and Per Mertesacker, obviously Miroslav Klose retired as well. Schweinsteiger didn't, did he? He stayed because he became captain after Philip Lahm. But I think that crew of Mertesacker, Lahm, Closer obviously was o- older and yeah. it was clear that he was going to retire from the Germany squad. You know, I think it was though. I was, someone actually wrote about this on Twitter. They wrote to me about this retirement. And I honestly think when they came out dancing with the World Cup, that hilarious celebration, when they came out to the Brandenburg Gate and there were like a million people mm. watching it, they must have, he must have looked around that crowd and just been like, it doesn't get better. No. It doesn't. It's like when Queen played Wembley Stadium and there's a moment when you know, you're like, it doesn't, I don't care how many more tours we go on, we're always going to be chasing that elusive high after this. And it was beautiful. Like, and I think as well, what was amazing about that win, sorry, Marvel reference incoming, it was like the cinematic universe of that Germany team came to an end. Like when they started in 06, they began that journey. They began their kind of, they began their kind of like Marvel universe of all these new players that we hadn't seen before. You've got this fullback, Lam, who can play perfectly well on both wings. And at one point was arguably the best left back and the best right back in the world, arguably. And then became one of the best holding midfielders. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? So that career. And he was the anchor for that. And then you had Ozil coming in, all these incredible personalities emerging at once, you know, and it was thrilling. And then like their story arc was completed in 2014. And the thing about Lam is, talk about a sense of narrative. The only other truly great retirement on that level is also German, Steffi Graf, stepping away from... Yeah, yeah, from tennis, yeah, tennis. for sure. You know, and just disappearing into the ether because we haven't heard from Lam pretty much, have we, since then? He's refused the job, refused the job as a sporting director on the board of directors, and he's gone. He's like just chilling. He's pretty active on LinkedIn. <laughs> he is, he is, actually. Does he write blogs? Does he do like masterclass? Hi, Philip. Please add me to your network. <laughs> <laughs> I do a podcast. What do you do? Do you know what? Imagine Philip Lam on a podcast. Oh my God, I'd love to get him on here. Oh my goodness. If anyone listening knows Philip Lam, please help us. How about this? Philip, I think you're probably the most intelligent podcast guest there's ever been. That we've ever worked with. Please please (laughs) confirm it by coming on Stadio. (laughs) Oh, that's slagging off Gary Lineker and Ian Wright. You can't say that. We've got to to say it to get him in the door. Yeah, true. Exactly. We're just marketing. We're marketing. One of my other favourite ones retired from the same club at the end of the same season as Philip Lam did. I'm looking at a very confused Musa Kwonga. I'm thinking. so confused. Jabby Alonso. Oh, that. Oh, someone sent me that. That was extraordinary. Yeah, actually, shouts to Phil Costa from One Football because he sent that to you. Wow. But yeah, one of my favourites. That blew me away. Because the thing that I loved about the Jabby Alonso retirement was not a lot of people leave Real Madrid at that point of their career and probably have as successful, if not more, a more successful stint after that. I think Jabby Alonso played some of his best football in his last three years at Bayern. I agree. I agree. 35 when he retired, Jabby Alonso. Good age. Good age. Philip Lama's 33, I think. And I just thought two players here who could probably go on for another year or two, but are just like, nah, done. There's just something about those two as characters 
that their retirement's just made so much sense. It's just like, yeah, of course they did that. Del Piero too. The world, the world Del Piero went. Yeah. Winning the World Cup and then leaving the Italy team and then retiring, scoring in his uh, final game. And mm. then, I don't know if any of you have watched this, but Del Piero scores in his final game and then spends, after that, he comes off the 65th minute and then he's going to sit on the bench, but everyone goes, no, come and come and walk. So he walks around the entire stadium for 20 minutes while the game is on, collecting scarves and just waving goodbye. It's one of the most stunning things. I mean, it's, he obviously goes on and plays in India for a bit, but in terms of leaving the European game, mm. but in terms of a goodbye, it's one of the most stunning goodbyes. Oh, sorry, but no, sorry. The most stunning goodbye of all is Marco van Basten. Mm, we had this from someone actually. Let me uh, find that. Yeah, Stephen Monday on Twitter said that. Uh, he said, always felt Marco van Basten was denied a proper retirement due to his injuries. One of the best strikers and he had his career cut short. The farewell to the San Siro is one of those stunning things. If you haven't seen it already, mm. van Basten's basically wearing like full clothes, like wearing his like sort of smart scarf and whatever, like very, like he's about to go out for like an evening drink. And he walks around the San Siro and he's waving goodbye to a packed San Siro. And the camera pans to Fabio Capello, who is in floods of tears. Like I've never seen Capello emotional on the sideline like that. I've seen him angry, but I've never seen, he is utterly vulnerable and he is sobbing. Like his body, his entire body is shaking. And when you see that, it's funny because Capello is not a player that you hear talk about his players with great fondness, but Van Basten was again, a, a slightly mythical player who was exceptionally consistent and was the purest in terms of just pure technique. When managers that hardened are weeping to see you go. Fernando Redondo was similar. When Redondo was at Madrid. Drink. Ha 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 ha. When Fernando Redondo was at Real Madrid, Capello called him tactically perfect. Mm. And so it's very rare to hear a, a manager that hard talk in awe of someone like that. So yeah, I think that was probably the most stunning retirement of all. One of my favourites in terms of what they've gone on to do after is George Weir. Just because I think, how can you how can you beat that? And then he gave Arsene Wenger, like, was it the... Is it the Freedom Medal of Liberia or something like that? I had to drink there because George Weir, every time I hear his name, I have to drink because I get dehydrated whenever I'm in the presence of George Weir. <laughs> <laughs> a guy who was such an icon. Every African that has come to Europe, either born there or come there to make a life, he represents all of that. Like Papa Diouf, for example. Mm. Like To bring all of that, like it's one thing to be a great footballer, right? But to come with all of that baggage, all of the low expectations that are around Africans, to come from, to be a working class African, right? Mm. To be to be ghetto, to come from the ghetto, to go from that and to elevate yourself to the top of it, it, it's another level. Yeah, to do that as a footballer, but as a man as well. I mean, it's it's astonishing. There's an amazing interview that Arsene Wenger does on the BBC talking about George Ware. I think actually Tayo Papula, shouts to Tayo, I think he produced it. And it's genuinely amazing. Like how much Arsene Wenger loves George Weah. Like he, he loves him, like he adores him, like a son kind of thing. Absolutely. It's amazing, man. It's a really good listen. I'd, I'd recommend Googling it. Or if we can find it, I'll tag it in the description. Um, I want to go through some of these quickly. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Ikenna Azwike. Hey, shout out my man, Ikenna out in Amsterdam. How's it going, my man? He said Weah's player to president transition. Yeah. I agree. Hey, check out Kenneth Azuika. That's an amazing presenter and producer. He's awesome. 
Yeah. Jazz Tahara shouts to Jazz. He said, literally the only one that sticks is Robbie Fowler pivoting into the rental market, then hosting seminars on how to do it. <laughs> What's that, that chant? We all live in a Robbie Fowler house. <laughs> there, was actually a, there was actually a chant, wasn't there at one point? Yeah, yeah. I want to shout out this one from Tim Stillman, which is amazing. He responded to your tweet about retirements with the link. He said, this was Kelly Smith's last touch as a professional footballer. And it was October the 6th, 2016. And Kelly Smith against Doncaster Bells for Arsenal takes a touch 25 yards out, looks up, chips the keeper off the bar and in. Literally her last touch as a professional footballer. That was her final goal for Arsenal. So, yeah, it was gorgeous. I, yeah, I saw the video. I saw the video, actually. Shouts to Ed Kilver. He said Zidane. Ahmed Tarek said Philip Lahm. Phil Costa tweeted you. Lived it, loved it. Farewell, beautiful game. That was the quote that Jabby Alonso wrote when he did his retirement. Oh, I want to read out these two. So one from Conrad Field. There's a former goalkeeper at St. Pauli Benedict Plaquette, I think his name is. He quit football and opened up a sex shop in Hamburg and he says he's never been happier. <laughs> Which is actually the most... St. Pauli thing, thing ever. ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one from Dentley Brummy on Twitter. He saw your tweet and then saw this from Bayern about Big Son Lizarazu, someone we were talking about last week. He retired, then became a European champion at jiu-jitsu and a surfer. And he basically looks like Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now and he's 50 years old. And the funny thing is the way he looks now he's not like someone who is too old to be in the club. Like he doesn't look like someone who's trying to look young. He just yeah. looks young. Yeah. This one from Karan Ravalier. Dirk Kout hat-trick on the final day of the season with Feyenoord to Pip Ajax at the title. That's a good one. That's awesome. One final one from South End Santi. Strong username on Twitter. Robert Perez retired, but has continued to rock up at Arsenal first team training despite not holding an official position in the club. <laughs> also, he's an ambassador for Grassroots Soccer, a non-profit which uses football to prevent the spread of HIV. That's pretty awesome. You had me sold on Robert Perez. You didn't need the rest of the exactly. Yeah, yeah, whatever like... it is, whatever it is, we'll, we'll include it. I'll exactly. read it out. If anyone wants to tweet reading out, just tweet us Robert Perez, and I'll read whatever. Exactly. Well, obviously within reason. <laughs> so there you go. Last dances. I like that. That's fun. Yeah, great fun. Great fun. Hope you enjoyed it too. Maybe. Did you enjoy it, Booster? Well, no, the listeners. I meant the listeners. All oh, right. Okay. I, I always yeah. enjoy myself. I mean, that's all I. You don't care whether I enjoy it or not. Well, you know. <laughs> typical man. <laughs> all right, then that'll do for today, I reckon. Musa's probably got a stew to make. That's right. <laughs> so we should leave him to it. <laughs> oh, man. The amount of stews I could make if I wasn't editing all these podcasts. Absolutely. Mm-mm. Don't worry, you can live vicariously through my experience. Reminder, Stadio Sessions this Friday. Check the Twitter, which is at Stadio, for the times. Stadio Football on Instagram. Stadio.football is the website. Download the FopMob app if you don't have it already. Keep up to date with what's going on. And Musa. If you don't mind, leave a review on Apple Podcasts because it really helps us grow the podcast. And a rating, and a please. Rating, Preferably please. five stars. Preferably five stars. <laughs> Good Lord. All right, let's save these people from another minute of our nonsense. And uh, we're going to play out with Gat Mangione, Boys With Toys. And we'll be back with The Wire episodes next week. See ya. Take care. Stay healthy. Look after each other. See ya. See you later. <laughs>